0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of This Book Changed My Life. I am Natalie Ford. Thank you so much for joining me. On this podcast, every week I interview some of my coworkers and we talk about a book that changed their life or left a big impact on them. We also talk about a bunch of other random stuff. Um, we talk about their... BHS biography, how they came to our school, how long they've been there, what other classes they've taught, and we also talk about their reading history. So today on the podcast, I have Ron Fritz, and I really, like, what did I know about Ron before this conversation? Well, I definitely knew that he was a nice guy that I like to chat with randomly at staff meetings if I saw him, but that was pretty much it. Um, I knew he taught in the alternative ed program at our school with Caitlin Hart, and um, I knew that they had worked really well together. And that was pretty much all I knew about them. So it was really this, this interview to me was a lot of fun because I just got to sit down and listen to some Ron Fritz stories, which who doesn't love that? When I think about this interview specifically, okay, so wait, let me back up. Let me back up a bit. I'm going to give you a thought I had about this interview, but first I have to tell you where I got that thought from. So I recently listened to one of my favorite podcasts, Freakonomics Radio, I love Freakonomics. It's hosted by this guy, Stephen Dubner, and it's one of my favorite podcasts. And it has been one of my favorite podcasts for a long time. Okay, so anyway, recently, their most recent episode was an interview with this guy. His name's Kevin Kelly, and I don't know, he's some sort of tech guru, and he founded Wired Magazine. He had some other things that made him qualified to um, <laughs> be on this podcast. Kevin Kelly was sharing this blog post that he had written a while ago, or you know, this thing that he had put on his website. And the post was 68 pieces of unsolicited advice. And Stephen Dubner had found some of his, some of the things on his list really interesting. And so he was interviewing Kevin Kelly about a couple items on his list and they, he would have Kevin Kelly read something and then really elaborate on it. So one thing that Kevin Kelly said on his list of 68 pieces of unsolicited advice was that. Being enthusiastic counts for 25 IQ points, and that is something that I had always thought in my own life, whether it be about myself or the people that I work with and spend time with and give my time to, but I had never articulated it that way, if that makes any sense, and so when I heard him say this, I was like, yes, yes, brother, I feel the exact same way, and I really do. I consider myself to be an enthusiastic person. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but in first grade, I won the most enthusiastic student award, and that's pretty much stuck with me my whole life. And I think I'm drawn to people who who believe the same thing, that being enthusiastic counts for 25 IQ points. And this piece of unsolicited advice truly reminded me of Ron Fritz in listening to him. And I think that's why I loved this interview so much. And as you'll learn is you just get a feel for the way that Ron approaches life. And like, like all of our interviews, the way that he approaches his life is exactly how he approaches education and connecting to his students. So I had an awesome conversation with Ron. You're going to listen to it next. And I hope you guys really enjoy it. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. If you're listening to this after Memorial Day. And if not, I'm glad you're getting caught up on your episodes. Okay, here's Ron. Here we go. Um. Well, I appreciate uh, you being on my podcast, Ron Fritz. Um. I thought your response was funny. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was something about like you you don't read books, or I can't remember what it was. I but <laughs> I
1: don't. Even, I can barely read.
0: <laughs> uh, that cracked me up. Um. All right. So I'm gonna. I'm. We're basically gonna focus on three things. First, I want to know about your BHS history, which I really don't know. And then I want to know about your reading history, like what you read growing up. And then you can tell us about the book that changed your life. So let's start with your BHS history, story, journey.
1: Oh my God. Well, I'm really, Natalie, this is going to be embarrassing. This is the problem is that I I tend to ramble. I'm not really good at storytelling because I go on tangents. Um, I am a there's a reason that i'm teaching what i teach is because i too am adhd i'm somehow a functional adhd person um it's really inspiring uh, for everyone <laughs> right somehow i made it um <laughs> drug-free um but gosh so i i had been in and out of teaching for years i was a teach for america teacher who went back to michigan got um a you know got certified and ended up getting a master's in curriculum development. And then ended up not going back into teaching and ended up running a summer camp. Um, and during that time, I got picked up. U, U of M kept me on as a lecturer in the school of ed. So basically for over a decade, I was, you know, a lecturer in, in the school of ed, which meant basically that, you know, I, I teach one or two, maybe three classes a year. Um, some semesters I didn't get classes. So it was miss. but I was also working this other job at camp. But after a while, I just needed more steady income, and I had been doing something called the Dream Dialogue, which was a program set up some years ago through the Anti-Defamation League, and I had done anti-bias training with the Anti-Defamation League. But the Dream Dialogue brought together students from Berkeley and students from Southfield, maybe? Where were we bringing them from, Berkeley? Maybe it was West Bloomfield. I can't remember the two districts that we brought together. And we once a month, we'd take them around, we'd gather, we'd do some sort of, uh, you know, exploration of something, you know, cultural or religious, just kind of like to get exposed kids to different, you know, whether it was the um, Islamic Peace Center or taking them down to see parts of the Underground Railroad or the Charles H. Wright or, you know, just different things and, and then have discussions around differences and backgrounds. And it was great. So I was working with Berkeley kids. And through that, I got to know Randy Gallup, who was the principal at the time, who you know. Um and turned out sort of coincidentally that um Randy Gowl was an assistant principal at Novi prior to being the principal at um Berkeley and Novi is where I went to high school back in the late eighties and my father had taught for years. So my dad's last couple years as a teacher were when Randy was an assistant principal, so he had known. And the other part of the connection was Ron Kane, who was the assistant principal who Randy brought with him from Novi, was, I think he was a freshman the year after I graduated from high school, but he wrestled for my dad in high school. So I I knew Ron, you know, I had known Ron, and, and then Randy became this connection, and so there was this personal connection, and then, so then... Actually, I'm making a short story long like I always do. You can edit the crap out of Um, I So then I kind of was like, all right, Michigan. Was, I, I was starting to think I wanted to get back into classroom. I wanted something more steady, and I reached out to Randy, and he was like, oh, I have someone. Um, I have a position. There was a math position that was opening up, and that position was filled by, mm, I'll tell you what it was. It was a year before uh, uh, Simpson retired
0: yeah yeah
1: okay and i can't remember there was a math no you know what it was it was andy's position oh okay so when Andy became assistant principal that math position opened and i'm a certified math teacher and i was like oh let me go in there well again in the roundabout story basically my certification wasn't active i was told i couldn't get it active fast enough they couldn't hire me um for the job but randy was like look i got this program it's credit recovery you do that for a year i've got another teacher who's retiring next year you can have her job I'm like, all right, great. I'll sacrifice, do the full-time sub thing for a year, land a gig, be a math teacher at Berkeley High School, right my backyard, perfect. My kids go to Berkeley. This yeah. Is, you know, perfect. Um, ended up at the end of my year in credit recovery for whatever reason, for multiple reasons, I guess. I was asked if I would ever be interested in running an alternative ed program at Berkeley. And I... It was like, heck yeah. I mean that was like my dream job, like from the beginning. It's like why I did Teach for America. Right, uh, right. Who always wanted to work with that population, right? I I wanted to work with the population that no one else wanted to work with. Um so coincidentally, again, my dad I don't think ever sought it out, but that's who he worked with when he taught.
0: Oh, how funny
1: he never did alternative ed. You know, my dad would tell you that he was a wrestling and football coach first and a teacher second. Um, he was a phys ed major and a math minor, but they needed math, not phys ed, so he taught math, and he taught like basic math, algebra, like to the meatheads, you know. And right. when they had real problems, they threw him to Fritz. <laughs> They're like whatever, Fritz'll take him, and, and you know. And then here I am, having my dad's, you know, much to his dismay.
0: The same mantra: Fritz will take him.
1: <laughs> right, I'll just take him. It's right, exactly. So <laughs>
0: that's so funny. I know so little about your world down there. Like I know you and Caitlin, obviously, but. I don't know a lot about what you guys do down there, but I find it interesting that you, um, I never knew you were a Teach for America teacher. And um, also, what kind of camp did you do? I'm so intrigued by that.
1: So I, I went, you know, oh my God, see, you're on, this I, goes on and on. I got story after story. Um, my So when I met my wife in Ann Arbor, um, you know, I was like, what are you doing in the summer? She's like, oh, I work at a summer camp. And I said, like, Meatballs, <laughs> because I don't know if you know the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray. It's like an old movie from the '70s, but it was a it was about summer camp. I had never gone to summer camp, but so I would I would go up and visit her um, that summer as I was working in Ann Arbor. Um, and then it just kind of became this thing. Like she had worked there as like a head counselor and just kind of a semi director, and it just evolved into this. You know, when I actually what happened was after I came back from Teach for America and did my master's and um, my wife was finishing up her Ph.D., we told the camp directors, we're like, yeah, we're just going to probably be done this year, this year, last year. And they were like, would you ever want to make it a full-time gig? So we both took it on as full-time gigs. And then later, like I said, I ended up teaching a lecture at Michigan and she was lecturing at Eastern at the time. And now she's a full-time professor at Eastern. Got it. But it's a, it's a it's, so it's a traditional residential summer camp. Um, it was actually started in 1952 as a summer camp for Jewish kids. And as I, the history teacher, am fond of telling everyone, um, you know whether you knew it or not, the reason that Jewish summer camps started was because that Jewish kids weren't welcome at most other camps, right? Wow. Up until the civil rights movement wasn't just a black thing; it was a non-Christian white thing. Right. So, you know, YMCA camps or other camps, like if you're not Christian, you can't come to camp. You can't be part of this program. So hence you saw this explosion of Jewish country clubs and Jewish summer camps. So it's a historically Jewish summer camp. My wife is Jewish. We're not very religious, although I raised my kids culturally Jewish, I guess, um, for lack of anything else. Yeah. And, and the camp itself isn't religious. We have most of our staff aren't Jewish. handful of kids are not Jewish. Um, we actually do a lot of other programs, school groups, and stuff. Um, so it's awesome. Right. I'm outside all summer long. Yeah. Do you guys Active.
0: still? You still do it? You still a part of your life?
1: Yeah. It's all changed, man. I tell you what. It was the dream world up until I had kids. We're um, actually up until um, Adler got to kindergarten um, because he was actually born in Petoskey. He was back at camp eight days later because camp is in Kalkaska. Yeah. Um, you know, we would go up, Natalie. It was awesome. We would go up like Memorial Day. Not yeah. even. We'd go up first week of May and we wouldn't come home until Labor Day.
0: That's amazing.
1: We Oh, it was the perfect scenario. I got out of the city just as it was getting crazy, yeah. And I came back just as it was calming down, and I didn't have to deal with all the summer BS, you know. <laughs> like, and I was up north all summer. <laughs> so
0: you're you're uh, literally saying the story that I would say all parents are saying, which is like, I had this dream job, and then I had kids, and now I'm a now I'm a slave, basically.
1: <laughs> right. right. I mean, that's what it was. It was like this. It was like kindergarten. It was like oh gotta go home early he's starting kindergarten you know yeah. and the next year we had to we took turns going back and forth you know and, and and like i'd go for a week and my wife would go for a week and we'd go back and forth back and forth um and then when i took the job at berkeley um and she took the job at um eastern the owners became more flexible with us and i started going up on weekends in may you know and, and maybe miss a day of school here or there right uh, um, sorry, Dennis. Um, but uh, right, um, but like you know, it, just to go up there and keep the job, and I would do staff training, and,
0: right,
1: up um, camp, and all those things, and then literally, like I've never had a summer off. Natalie, it's not. Some, I was just talking to, I was just talking to Stephanie Coburn about this. I'm like, Stephanie, what do you do with your summer? She's like, nothing. I watch baseball games. I'm like, do you ever do? I'm like, I don't think I could sit around. I don't know what I would do yeah. if I didn't camp. I leave. School on Friday and I'm working on Sunday at camp yeah. literally I get maybe five days off in the summer and then I'm back at school coaching and then and teaching yeah me. so I love it I mean it's just what I do it's just what wait I so
0: what are you gonna do this summer because obviously you're not doing camp I'm assuming uh, you're not doing
1: camp uh, you got a job for me I need a job no um,
0: I have no job for you but I'm wondering what you're gonna do with your time
1: yeah good, good. well we're still hope oh, there's still like hanging oh, okay out got like, it. That, yeah that, you know Whitmer has not shut you down shut it down completely um some of the bigger camps like Tamarack decided to call it because they're just so big you know, yeah Tamarack's a, you know, we could get away pretty you know if I think what it's come down to' like if we could pull off like a five week session you know so two weeks of staff training so seven week window this summer yeah maybe even a six week window we could probably pull something off so I'm kind of waiting around for that. Otherwise, I don't know. I got to find something. I'm going to, I literally, I'm I'm like, kind of like, what am I going to do? I need to find a job. I can't, well, A, I'd be bored if I didn't have a job. B, I kind of need the income. And right now I'm not getting income from it because I've worked this job forever. But unfortunately, I, they're not paying me right now because they're not making any money.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: um, And I've come to, you know, working there for the last 25 years, I've come to just depend on, right? It's just become this money that I've, you know, it's just part of my income.
0: That's, well, um, keep me posted, because I feel like, and again, I don't want to get too much down this track, but I do feel like if you were to do it, like, all these little experiments that people are going to run over the summer, right, are going to help inform what we can do in the fall,
1: so right.
0: that's right. kind of what I'm hoping, is so that we're I, just going to accumulate information. I, I,
1: yeah, no, well, and it's, right, I mean, it's, who knows if they'll allow it or not, if it gets to that point, and it will be an interesting Case study for sure. If they allow it to do it, it is an interesting case study because it would actually it would, it would lend a lot of information to what we may end up doing in the fall. Yeah. Right? The teachers For sure, because, for sure. You know, can we have anything in there not? So. Uh,
0: yeah. Exactly. Um. Okay, Ron. Let me switch gears a little bit here. I'm yes. so intrigued by this question with you because I really have no idea. What were you? Can you tell us about like your reading history? What kind of student were you like as a kid, etc.
1: Oh, my God. I don't know how I got to where I am, Emily. Um, I'm a nice guy. A nice guy. <laughs> that's your
0: response to how you got through school. I'm a nice guy.
1: I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice kid who tried hard, literally. I think that's what it was. And I'll tell you what, like high school is hard and elementary school is hard for me to remember. Like I did, I tried hard and I did times. I remember in elementary school, there were certain points in my life, like I got a C in math. And I was like, dad, it's average. And he's like, you're better than average. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, like that was like a moment in my life and I was like, okay, C's aren't acceptable. Um, <laughs> you know, AB student who literally, I just tried hard. I was just a hardworking kid. If you look at anybody who ever wrote a letter of recommendation for me, who my coaches, whoever wrote stuff about me, you know, he's a hardworking kid. He just, you know, he just does what you ask, right? It, it, I, it just, it's just what I did. And like, I would try and like, I think teachers felt mad for me sometimes because I was terrible at English, especially because I was just such a slow, I'm still a slow reader. My wife makes fun of me. I'm the slowest reader. Um, And, you know, I, I, just, I did, I I got through high school with, you know, A's and B's. Um, I got into some incredible colleges, not because of my academics, but because I just had so many other things going on. Um, and you know, I don't know. I read when I was young, you know, it's so funny. Ever since this whole thing developed, I've been thinking about it, you know, and I don't remember super young books, just like any kid's books, but my mom had always told me for years, I, you know, every time from school or the library before school and even in school, I would always bring home Dr. Seuss books and it drove her nuts because they were so hard to read. But like for Dr. Seuss was obviously a very young thing. And I remember loving, still loving Dr. Seuss. Um, I remember reading a ton. I think I wrote, read, and I don't even know if you'll know this, every single Encyclopedia Brown book.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit before me, but for sure I know the series.
1: Okay. So I think I read every single Encyclopedia Brown book. Um... Gosh, after that, you know, maybe a little Beverly Clearly, Runaway Ralph, some of those other books. Oh, Runaway. Yeah, I remember Runaway Ralph. That's good stuff. You know, so like. Um, but then
0: you're saying yeah. after that, it's just kind of a blank.
1: Well, it, it does. After that, it does kind of become a little bit of a blank. And I'm trying to remember at some point, I think I took a good stab at trying to read The Lord of the Rings in middle school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. May or may not have gotten through it from what I recall. So wait, are you,
0: let me ask you a question. When you, like, when you went to college and then you become like a professor and a teacher, what, like, what, what do you, where did you kind of start back up with the, I like to be a learner or did you, did you always like to be a learner? Just not of things that were found in books. Oh boy.
1: Yes. That's my problem, Natalie. And, and, and even in high school, in, in retrospect, I don't think it dawned on me until college that that was the case, but in retrospect, so here's, I think, was always my problem. I am the kid who always wanted to understand, right? Yeah. Every kid, I, not every kid I know, when I went to Michigan, so many freaking kids, like, like the guys I graduated with, you know, some of my friends, they would be like, oh, you know, they would go to four years at the University of Michigan. I didn't learn anything. I just learned how to play the game, jump through hoops. Right. You know? But that's what it was, and that's what high school was or is, right? And Is that, like, literally, you can go through high school and college and learn absolutely nothing if you know how to play the game. Right. And you know how to play it well. I never learned how to play the game. I still don't know how to play the game, Natalie. I still can't get – I still probably couldn't get a 30 on the ACT. I, you know what I'm saying? like,
0: Yeah, I, yeah.
1: I don't know how to play the game, but I – want to understand so bad yeah does that make sense? so in high school i tried so hard but you throw a test in front of me blah, you
0: know? yeah 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 yeah
1: you know i would try so hard for that understanding where kids were like why are you trying to understand this just do this yeah and i couldn't make that connection you know and i saw that especially in college you know i saw that more and more in college and at a certain point it dawned on me and again this is where i think i got some great letters of recommendation to get to like teach for america or graduate school it was like My grades were terrible, but my teachers loved me and all my classmates hated me because why? I kept asking questions. Yeah. I kept asking questions. And as a teacher, guess what? You love that student, right? Yeah. Who, not stupid questions, not like, I just wanted to know. I just kept pushing the classroom discussions because I wanted to know. And my teachers loved that crap because every other kid was just like, just tell me what I need to know so I can get out of here.
0: Wait, this is so funny to me. First of all, you keep saying you were a terrible student, but you you got into U of M and you graduated from U of M.
1: All right, now here comes a full disclosure. So, ready? I, so, I will tell you that um, again. This is going to go back to a, a bigger picture. Another little tangent story. I was a. I graduated high school from best recollection. I graduated high school with a three three. I took the ACT four times and got a twenty three on it four times. Okay. Um, the reason I did that because I was applying to service academies, uh, Annapolis, West Point, and the Coast yeah. Academy, and I really wanted to get into them. So you were allowed to take the SAT and ACT multiple times. Um, needless to say, I was probably at best a borderline student to get into Michigan and/or the service academies. What saved my butt was a three, you know, a three-sport athlete. Yeah. Okay. Blah 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 blah. Super involved. All these other things, right? And I got put on the wait list for all of them, and I was going to Michigan Tech. I was planning on going to Michigan Tech, and April of my senior year of high school, my dad, who happened to also be my wrestling coach, calls up Dale Barr, who's a wrestling coach at Michigan. My dad knew Dale. My, my dad is a pretty successful wrestling coach, so a lot of you know coaches knew him. I had also coincidentally beaten up Dale's son the year before at regionals um, in wrestling, so I may have been on his radar mm-hmm. a little bit, and he said, hey, my son would love to get in U of M. Can you help him out? And Dale said, have them apply. So next thing I know, April of my senior year, I'm in the school of engineering at U of M.
0: Wow. Wait, did you wrestle there?
1: And I walked on and I wrestled and got beat up a lot. I <laughs> had to have knee surgery actually my freshman year, but then I actually reapplied to West point in the coast guard Academy. Cause I also did ROTC when I was at Michigan. Um, yeah. Ended up getting in the coast guard Academy. And then I was at the coast guard Academy for a year and a half. Um, prior to deciding that I didn't want to be in the military. So, um, so yeah, so I got into Michigan, basically. Like, again, Natalie, but somehow I got into what's even crazier, and I hate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm boasting and it's not going to be a mm-hmm. boast. So there's a few things I like to say. One, I got into U of M, and maybe I shouldn't have, right, because I got a of fam- the valedictorian of my high school got me U of M and decided it was too hard and she dropped out and went to state.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. You
1: know what I'm saying? There are so many kids who got gotten U of M and dropped out. Guess what? I graduated and I went back and got a master's from U of M. So as much as I got a crutch to get me in, I took full advantage of it. And it, You know what I'm saying? Like It's not like I squandered someone's spot.
0: So I, I don't feel bad about that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Also, wait. Hold on. I have to. I have this in my brain. I have to say it before I forget. I also feel like to me, wrestling. Like I, I played. I played soccer at a Division three school, and so like mm-hmm. it's no. I mean, I know you say like, oh, I walked on, I got beat up. It's still a pretty big deal that you wrestled for a D one school, and I always feel like wrestling is the sport that like, I I think it's got to be one of the hardest ones. And it's funny to me, it's like a metaphor for the way you live your life is like, you're just like gonna grind it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is the most unfancy, unglamorous sport I have ever seen in my entire life. You can't like fake it, hide it, nothing. And so I just feel like it's appropriate to me that you and your your dad are both like wrestlers, because it, it feels like a that you approach academics the same way. Like this is going to be you're really right. hard and I'm going to get beat up a lot, but I'm still here, like walking out here every day. And that's kind of what matters.
1: Well, and, and, and I think you're right. You're a hundred percent spot on. And I'll add one other thing to it that my old man once told me, which again could have been a great disservice, but because he was a teacher, he's like, look, you didn't like your grade. Guess what? Go back in, try harder next time. He never told me once to ever question my
0: grade
1: yeah never taught me to go up to the teacher and say why did I get this grade right right I could have you know I could have had I learned to do that I could have gone to college and earned so many more you know what I'm saying yeah I I yeah I guarantee it had I learned to do that right but I did not what I learned to do was go back and try harder yeah <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> I think that's probably a good thing
0: yeah I know there is something kind of like old school about you does that make sense to you like I don't mm-hmm. know,
1: um, like I'm old Natalie, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but just the way of thinking of like this is what it is, and you're just going to work as hard as you can, and that's there's no magic, there's no shortcut, there's no nothing. and I again, like I would I feel the same way about the sport of wrestling, like there's n- there's nowhere to hide, and you have what you have, and that's all you get. Yep. um, okay, wait, what is the book that changed your life?
1: Oh my God! Probably a million different ones that I don't even know. So I've been wrapping around in my—I'll tell honestly—and again, this is probably cheating because I've been thinking about this ever since we first—you know—you first reached out to me. Um, and gosh, there's a book that you probably never heard of by a guy that you've never heard of, and I'm not even sure if this book is still in print. It's called *The Long Haul* by a guy named Miles Horton. It's an autobiography, and. It was assigned to me in college by a guy named um, uh, Buzz Alexander, who was an English teacher. I mean, just uh, super influential. The classes that he taught were hugely impact my class. And I know that others who went to U of M have taken this class and know about him. Um, I know Robin Weiss was a big fan. Yeah. Um, but basically, Miles Horton was this guy who was born in the turn of the century and sort of grew up in the labor movement um he went to school and learned how to get involved with like poor west virginia coal miners back in the 30s and um learning how to work with these you know work with these populations to help them sort of learn to advocate for themselves and stand up and unionize and and fight for their own you know, fight for their way, and this led to him creating a school called the Highlander School, which, um, which again, most of us probably have never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, the Highlander School, I think, was in Tennessee, but it was a very influential school that actually um, many people in the civil rights movement, including you know, Dr. King and Rosa Parks, attended the Highlander School to learn how to um, practice civil disobedience. Right in their movements, and so Miles Horton is a guy who started this Highlander School. He's a guy who was just, and and and, and it wasn't that. Part, I mean, and so again, to a certain degree, I think that's you know, reading this guy's story, his entire life was dedicated to fighting for sort of the oppressed, and a lot of you know what we coin as the oppressed, and and the other book that I would put with it although I, I I really struggled to understand this book, and I still struggle to understand this book, although I get some of it, is a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Ferrari. And I don't know if you are familiar with that at all. No, tell me about it. So it, it's the same idea. And, and Horton worked with Ferrari, and, and I don't know who came up with the ideas first, or they kind of came together. But it's this, it's this notion that, like, you know, we often treat populations that, are oppressed or those we deem as, you know, poor as like, they don't know what's best for them. We know what's best for them. We never ask them what's best for them, right? You know, we can look at that students. We know what's best for students. student. We know what's best for every student. We don't talk to the students to ask them, right? What's, you know, and that's part of what I incorporate into my teacher. I try to, is like, I try to incorporate, you know, and it's easy for me because I have fewer students than you. But like, you know, you have to, you know, this, you have to, you have to take into account their lives, you right. have to take into account where they're coming from, you know, when they step out that door in the morning, what sort of, you know, what they're leaving behind and what baggage they're carrying with them, right? And for us to, to blindly say, well, you just got to do it this way, right? It's really ignorant, because what do we know about what it's like to grow up that way? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to me. Like I'm thinking about the thread that goes between these two books, and what do you think is the th- like? Obviously, both are trying to advocate for people who have not been advocated for, like represented, or even listened to.
1: It, it, there's ah, God. I wish I could remember the term. There's a the idea is basically ah, there's a phrase for it. And it's killing me, but it's the idea that look. Um, these they know how to think yeah and 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 getting people to believe that their thoughts have value yeah right important so when these poor west virginia miners, right didn't think they had a chance getting them to believe that yes they did deserve to be paid better and they did deserve to have better working conditions right convincing african americans who had generations Right for hundreds of years, have lived as second-class citizens in a separate but equal society. You have to convince them that their ideas have merit, because they've learned generation after generation that their many of them had learned that their ideas didn't have merit or value or worth. Right? Anytime that they were brought up, they were just pushed to the side. You know, and this and that's sort of the plight of you know of oppressed you know of, of oppressed groups in society is that we often don't think that their voice matters. We don't take it into account. And I think that's what Horton did, and that's certainly what uh, Paul Freire did. It, you know, Paul Freire was very big in, in uh, you know, all around the world uh, with working with, um, you know, poor populations. Mostly poor, because um, those tend to be the most, um, you know, disadvantaged sort of groups out there. It just so happens in the United States that the poor are overrepresented. You know, Minorities have an
0: overrepresentation of, of, uh, of those in, you know, in poverty. Um, I'm wondering also, like, in terms of your, your job, because both books, obviously, to me, in my mind, like, get to the root of your position in the high school. And I wonder, like, how do you communicate these ideals that you learn in these books? Like, or do you feel like you are trying to communicate those ideas to your own students? Because I'm assuming a lot of your students are not, like, you said, they're smart kids who have gotten caught up in a lot of other I don't even want to say caught up like what's the word I'm looking for I don't know like they're having a hard time because of things that are a lot of things that are outside of their control maybe and um I don't know like what do you what do you see in terms of how do how do you communicate this message to them what does that look like for you
1: no, like I'll talk, I'll be honest with you and, and, and I'm sure you've experienced it sometimes it's just like I just go in and I don't even think about it you know and sometimes I do and like moments like now I think about it and I think okay what can I do better right what do I do and how can I do this better in my practice um, I'll tell you early in my practice I used to try to bring up bring it up directly
0: with yeah, kids yeah.
1: With, with you know not much success of them understanding your gathering on you
0: know, right
1: like, you know you're You know, society, this is how society, you know, just trying to get them to realize, and work with them to do this, but it just never played out, I guess. More so, I find myself convincing the kids that they have the ability to do it, right, or just trying to push them, And, and it doesn't, in that, it doesn't have to be a certain way, you know, you don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it gets into my practice, and it probably doesn't get into my practice enough.
0: Well, I'd say it's like, I mean, to me, like it's obviously a part of who you are, which is who they need in front of them as a person who believes with conviction that, you know, they're, they, they need a person who doesn't think what a lot of other teachers may think, which is like, oh, you're in here because you misbehave and you're not listening to me, you know, sort of like you, they need someone who's looking at them thinking a different narrative than maybe a lot of other educators have thought about them in the past, if that makes sense.
1: No, and I think you know, and that goes back to me. Just I think it's um, you know, what you know. Caitlin would tell you, um, you know. I think that she and I agree, and it's. and I certainly have sort of changed some of my view on teaching because of this. Um, was just it's all about relationships.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? for sure. Yes,
1: and every teacher knows that. You know, good teachers know that, and it's all about relationships and making it so the kids feel like they can come into your classroom. Right. It's a, and and my kids typically have had a, uh, up until high school, you know, it wasn't who they had freshman year that were in it. They pretty much, most of them have had a ter- terrible experience going all the way up. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. You
1: know, and have learned to hate school.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's a really good question you asked Natalie. And I don't know what, if anything I do, because honestly where my head goes every time and I'll tell you what I do with my kids and what I feel like I do with my kids more often than not, is just a convincing them they're, they're capable and right. B, them that it's worthwhile because yeah. they can't make that connection. And it, it certainly has to do with adolescence, but they, to me, it's like, look, like, and I've, and I have told Dennis this before. And I, I at conferences. I pulled Dennis aside and, because I tell parents this and I wanted Dennis to know Dennis, I am going to apologize to you. I said, I'm, look, I'm sorry, but this is what I tell parents because this is what I, I, I honestly believe this I and mean, it's what I mentioned earlier. You can go through, I say, I tell Miss, I'm like, look, if you want, there's great learning to be had in high school. There is amazing learning to be had. And I love learning. I'm a nerd. I love to learn. I want to understand this world. And there is so much learning to be had. But I'm not going to lie to you. You can go through high school and not learn a thing. You just have to learn to play the game. And what is that game? Show up, participate, turn in your work. It's hard to fail if you do that. Right. It's really hard to fail if you do those three things. Right? That's all you have to do. I'm not saying you have to ace a test or a quiz. You just gotta show up, do the homework, participate in class, right? You won't learn anything, but you'll graduate. Right? And you know, you know, so but they don't you know they don't get it and I don't you know right. kind of, who felt so bad. Like she like I was emailing her because her son won't do the work and she's like, I don't know what to do, and it's like you know, you talk to him and I I think he really does wanna graduate. He says he does and I truly believe he wants to graduate. But she can't he, he can't connect it to his needing to do the work and sustain focus to do the work.
0: Yeah, it is weird. I like you said the word connection, like there is I don't know, I see you I mean I'm sure like you said so much of your job is about like fusing that connection, right? And that, it is hard. I have, we all have this conversation every year with students where it's like you haven't done anything thing all year and now it's like May something and you're super concerned about your life and, you know, it's like just trying to, I don't know, trying to make that connection between those two things.
1: Right, and, and Hart and I have done, you know, and I think that to a certain degree, it's, it's bad. Like, I think we do a good job. Like, a lot of kids are come in and we convince them, like, look, you're just as smart. So now, I think a lot of our kids believe, oh, we're just as smart as the other kids. Yeah, but we just don't care.
0: Yeah, right. yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There's like a lot of layers to it.
1: You know, but uh, you know, and I, you know, it is, and so in going back, and I guess, I guess where my where that book might connect to it is that I am need to be in my program, much more forgiving of, of, you know, just, I don't want to say bad behavior because I am thinking my kids have bad behavior right. of what might be considered disrespectful yeah. or might be considered inappropriate. Right. Because, and this goes back because, and this is where I get, I, I, I struggle with people. I'm like, look, you can't, my kids haven't learned any better. Right. They've never learned any better. This is their, this is, this is what they know. Yeah, you know, you know, yeah, great. You can check them out, great. That's what
0: they want, right? I know, know. <laughs> I know. It you know? is. I, I, I feel like you guys do have this really challenging universe, and the step one of your universe, which is what your both of your books bring up, is like understanding the universe that you have down there. And I, I mean, I think you and Hart are the two people that obviously are equipped to do it,
1: right? Uh, well, I don't know. She is. She, I got so lucky with her. Oh my yeah.
0: God. She's the she, best.
1: Like, she's wise behind her age, and she really is. I mean, and I and I listened to uh, part of your uh, part of the podcast with her and how you and, and I and I couldn't agree more. I think you were so lucky to have her because she was amazing, and, and it doesn't surprise me a bit. The sounds that that she did an amazing job because she is the consummate professional.
0: Yeah, right, totally. Like,
1: you know, and and I think we have done a really good job of balancing each other. Like I'm the guy who can be a little too loosey goosey at times. Right. And she she can bring it back, and I'm the one who has to convince her to be like, look, lighten up. These you know these kids aren't us, right? They right. don't think like us. They're not going to think like us. They don't. Right. That's not their worldview. They don't. You know. You know. It, it's just we're never. You know. So and, there, and there's certain things like we complain all the time. Our kids are so unappreciative. They never say thank you. They never say please they just don't yeah. because that's not you know it's just not I wish they would and I'm trying to get them to do it more right,
0: right? I hear but, ya um wait okay Ron Fritz first of all I have to pause and say like I don't know when you and I are gonna hang out again but like I have a lot more I need to talk to you about and I gotta I gotta wrap up this interview because you know there's like uh, chaos in my home which is not anything unique but um I feel like I have a million more questions for you oh, in your no. life it oh was when Hart, oh, yeah. Hart Hart was like, "Hey, you gotta call Ron Fritz. He's got a lot of good stories." And um, yeah, you, I'm confirming <laughs> I'm, I'm that. I'm, I'm confirming that.
1: Surprised she said
0: that. <laughs> anyway, okay, uh, so,
1: I think, no, go go ahead. Be stories. I figured she might be totally sick. My
0: stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I so I so appreciate learning about you. You have such a rich history that I knew nothing about, and um, I feel like your philosophies are all lined up. You know, kind of as they should be based on the world that you live in. So I think that's really cool.
1: Well, I appreciate it. I don't know. I'm just going day by day and just trying to leave a better world behind me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: It certainly sounds like you are. All right. Well, thanks so much for, um, thanks so much for being on my podcast, Ron.
1: No, of course. Thanks for hosting. I appreciate it. It was very kind of you to to think of me.
0: Well, let's, um, let's hang out in person and, um, and go through some of my follow-up questions.
1: I would love to. I would love to. All
0: right. Thanks, Ron.
1: You well, Natalie. Take care.
0: Bye.